Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. I'm Kathy Havis, your host, and today we're going to talk to Jared Carson, class of 2013, co-founder and CFO of Horatio, a business that allows companies to outsource their customer support and back office support tasks. We're excited to hear the story of how he and his partners launched this company after meeting in business school, what's next for Horatio, and what inspires him as an entrepreneur. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And remember to rate and review our podcast, if you can, by scrolling to the bottom of this episode. That way, even more young entrepreneurs can find the podcast and be inspired to follow their dreams. So welcome, Jared. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks, Kathy. Really excited to be here. Yeah, that's awesome. So can you start by giving us just the 30-second elevator pitch about Horatio and maybe tell us a little bit about how you and your partners came up with that name, too? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So the way I like to describe us is that we're a next-generation customer service company. So what we do is we provide dedicated support teams to viral brands across the new wave of industries. So e-commerce, fintech, health tech, marketplaces are the main industries that we serve. We do also work with a couple celebrity-backed brands that have who've just launched brands recently. We're based in New York, and our main offshore offices are in the Dominican Republic, which is where my business partner, Jose, is from. And in the DR, all of our team members are fully bilingual in English and Spanish, and they love the work that they do to support our clients. You asked about our name. So what we like to say about our name is that Horatio is Hamlet's only trusted friend in the play, and we like to convey a message of trust to all of our client partners. And so that's definition one of how we found the name, but also we came up with the idea at Jose's apartment on Horatio Street in New York. So that's, so it's kind of a double meaning name, and, and we like to say both. That's awesome. That's a pretty good process for coming up with a name. And I like that rather than just like, oh, it just came, we were just brainstorming, but that's a pretty good idea. This seems like a common pain point for so many companies of customer service. So talk about how, when you guys were together, how you decided to jump into this marketplace, why this was something that you felt like you could solve differently than it's being solved already. Yeah. I met my two co-founders, Jose and Alex, while we were getting our MBA at Columbia Business School in New York. And that was, that was about six years or so after I graduated from Cornell. And we saw exactly what you just mentioned. So part of what we did in business school was immerse ourselves in the entrepreneurship scene there. And we met with a lot of different founders, reviewed a lot of case studies with our professors, and customer support was really a common pain point. It's an outdated industry. I mean, anyone you talk to on the street has, you can stop them and they'll tell you a bad experience that they had recently calling a customer support line. And so we thought, hey, let's try to bring a new approach to this old industry. Let's innovate. And really what we started by doing is investing in our culture and in our employee experience. And it's proven to work pretty well that if an employee feels comfortable in the workplace, feels that they're doing meaningful work, they're going to be invested in providing a great customer experience. And so we've been able to really turn this industry 
on its head. And we've done that by investing in our employees and providing a great employee experience to set the tone. And then, yeah. And then, as you mentioned, our end markets, our clients are in the new wave of industries. And so whether that's technology, food, crypto, fintech, just to name a few, but our clients are really innovating in their industries. And so we're able to offer really meaningful employment opportunities to help our partners grow. That's great. So the the people who work for you as people who are on the other end of the phone that people are calling, are they focused on one specific company or do they have knowledge about several different companies and they're answering questions about various different things? And also like what kinds of skill sets do those people have? Because I always feel like the people who are taking those phone calls have to be like so incredibly patient and also understanding and like, you know, willing to deal with crabby people and answer all kinds of questions. So I'd love to know like how you find these people and, you know, how that system works a little bit. You're hundred percent right. Empathy training, sympathy training. We interview for that. And then we provide constant training on those areas. Now, a lot of our clients in the new generation of industries, they're full omni-channel operations. So our team members answer emails, chat, social media, SMS, and phone as well. Although phone is actually becoming a little less prevalent, I'm sure you've chatted with brands more recently as well. Right, right. Yeah. So chat and email is growing a lot and SMS is actually growing a lot too. But yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, we have to do a lot of training on sympathy, on empathy, on brand voice. And our team members are super passionate about the job that they do. And that comes across in the support calls. But yeah, I mean, I've taken phone calls and I still do from time to time. And you just have to go in with a positive mindset and, you know, not get too upset if you get yelled at initially and just work hard to try to resolve whatever you have to handle on the other end of the line. Right. So there's a lot of training on sympathy and empathy and then a lot of specific training based on whatever company they're working with. And are they generally working with more than one company in terms of what kinds of calls they're taking and what kinds of chats they're answering? Or Yeah, no. So part of our business model is fully dedicated teams. So we work as an extension of our client's team. So the example I like to give is, is we work with a dog food subscription brand. So people get a monthly delivery of their pet food and it's both wet. They have both wet and dry options, both fresh and more uh, long-term options as well. And they have a dedicated team of about 35 people that work exclusively for them. So this company, they treat their Horatio team really as an extension of their team. We're integrated in their Slack channels. We attend their weekly company update meetings. Those are the best partnerships where our clients treat us as a real extension of their team and our model is fully dedicated. And that's how we're able to get the best quality. So the people who work for you don't necessarily always just do customer support. They can also do some backend support. Is that true? Can you talk a little bit about those other services that you offer too? Yeah. So we're actually seeing that grow a lot given some of the labor shortages in the US and and the tightness in the labor market. But A lot of our clients may start working with us to handle their customer support. And then they'll say, hey, I actually have this back office process that I'd love you guys to help with. Can we build a team to do this? And so one of the new service offerings that we just launched, given our background in financial services, is we do KYC work for fintech and crypto clients. We do vendor onboarding for a couple of different marketplaces. We do some customer success roles. 
And then we also do some data entry, image retouching, that kind of thing as well. So the way I like to describe it is really if we can build a scalable process around it, then typically we can help out. Nice. And KYC is know your customer. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. Most most listeners probably know that, but not maybe not everyone. So yeah. So if you're signing up for a crypto exchange or a new fintech app, you have to submit your passport. You have to submit some social security information, and so our team helps our clients verify that information and to make sure that it's actually the the right person that's signing up. Right. So how many people do you have working for you right now? How big is your company? We just crossed the thousand employee mark. So we're pretty happy about that. And through the pandemic, obviously the new wave of industries has grown a lot and we've actually been able to grow about four times through the pandemic. And earlier this year, we crossed the thousand employee mark. So we're pretty proud of that. Yeah, we have an amazing team. And every time I I go to, to the DR to spend time with them, I'm just impressed by the new ideas and by all of the the way that the teams work together and the, the culture and camaraderie in the office. It's just unbelievable to see. That's great. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Talk about your day-to-day role with the company. I would first love to know like how you work with three co-founders, because I think that there's all kinds of stories about how tricky it is to work with even one partner, much less three of you all working together. But how did you divide up roles and what is your day-to-day role and, and what are your projects that you are mo- most focused on? Yeah. So obviously every partnership has their dynamics. I'm lucky that we started as good friends and that formed the foundation for our business partnership. And we still are very good friends to this day, but we all have pretty different skill sets. So it actually meshes pretty well. Jose obviously has to handle a lot of the stuff in Latin America because he is from there and has a lot of the relationships. And he also runs sales and growth. My other partner, Alex, he is very process driven and operational in nature. And so he's a natural fit to handle a lot of our internal processes and clients, client operational processes. And then what I do as CFO is obviously I handle our financial operations. I come from investment banking and private equity. So I'm pretty analytical. I was also an engineer at Cornell. And so I bring that skill set as well. And so I run our financial operations which is getting more complex as we've grown. And then obviously I problem solve for our clients. And so I get on weekly calls with our leadership team and a number of our clients and help problem solve. And then the other thing that I help do is we're we're constantly looking at new geographies, new end markets, new service lines. And so a lot of that strategy work and kind of building the operating plans around our strategic decisions, I hope with a lot of that as well. Does human resources fall under the CFO's title? Because there's just so much hiring you'd be doing all the time and managing all these different people. I'm sure you have someone who's like a director of all of that underneath all of you. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest focus area for us is, is hiring and building these teams out. So what we've done is bring in, I think, the two best people we could have brought in who run the operations locally in the Dominican Republic. And so they're on the HR function, the operations function locally. And so that the two of them round out our five person executive team. And yeah, and they're just amazing. But yeah, they all of the hiring and all of the recruiting of the thousand different team members has been done through them. Right. That's great. 
So talk a little bit about your time at Cornell. Like you majored in engineering. Tell us what kind. And did you do any entrepreneurial kind of activity when you were here? Or what kinds of things were you involved in when you were an undergrad? I majored in operations research engineering. And what's funny is that in intro to, to OR, one of the first examples is building a service company or call center staffing model. So I happened go. to do that every day. I took, you know, my finance time, I didn't touch it, but then coming back into this industry, I actually use that every day. I also, I minored in business and my year, I think was the first year of the OR business minor. So I was able to do that program and that really sparked my interest in business. I was also on the tennis team at Cornell and I would say most of the tennis team did econ or aim. And so they exposed me to some of the entrepreneurial classes at Cornell. I remember AIM Finance, which that was a tough one. Most engineers took Hotel Finance, but I needed to do AIM to get in to work it out with my tennis schedule. And so, you know, that was a, a tough one. But um, right. yeah, yeah, I love my experience at Cornell and I tried to do, I mean, I was pretty busy with engineering and tennis, but I tried to get involved in the entrepreneurship scene. And I've done a lot more of that since I graduated. Right. So when you were here at Cornell, did you have an idea that someday, I mean, you initially went into doing some work with investment banking and stuff, but did you have some an idea that someday you wanted to have your own company? Was that an early thought or did that happen when you were in business school? I always kind of had the entrepreneurial bug from a young age. So I grew up playing tennis. And so, you know, from three or four years old, I was at the tennis center. By the time I was 10 or 11, I was selling candy bars and taking a percent of the profit. I was coordinating racket stringing and, you know, doing entrepreneurial things to make money around the tennis center. So I always kind of had the bug. And then at Cornell, I definitely was exposed to the entrepreneurship scene. And then as I got older, I taught tennis, I tutored as well. And then, yeah, and then my work experience. So in the private equity world, you're exposed to entrepreneurs, you kind of understand the traits and I mean, a couple of the most common traits that I saw were thinking positively, working hard, trusting your different team members and kind of not micromanaging, which is not the easiest thing, but it's something I'm working on. I saw the different traits of entrepreneurs and I thought I could do this. And then, you know, in business school, I met my two co-founders and we put our heads down and, and are still heads down to this day. Right. That's great. So which of those traits of entrepreneurs that you noticed when you were in school, which of those traits do you have and which are like the strongest traits that you think are helpful for you and for other entrepreneurs? For me, the way I, I do things and the way I, I interact with my team is always about working hard. And, and this comes from my parents. It also comes from tennis at a young age. There's always people more talented, but I was going to try to not get outworked and starts on the tennis court. And then, you know, with my studies in school and in the engineering school, I remember difficult classes like stochastic processes and optimization, and you really got to put the work in to do well and understand those subjects. And so that's one for sure. So I, I saw that trade and I knew I was going to be able to work really hard. Investment banking and private equity also prepare you for that. And then the other one is, is thinking positively. So when you're running a company, you just have to keep a positive mindset to every situation. You're going to have things that don't go your way. You're going to have difficult conversations with clients. You're going to have employee situations that, you know, you just have to push through. But at the end of the day, if you can stay positive, 
and kind of compartmentalize it a little bit. I think that's something that I'm constantly working on, but I'm able to draw a lot of support from my family. We just had a baby. So, you know, oh, congratulations. anything that, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So anything that's going on, I can always, you know, go look at him and put a smile on my face. So I think thinking positively and working hard for me are, are the two. Right. That's really good because I don't know that thinking positively has come up when I ask people this question in the, in the past. So that's really interesting. I think that people are like, you need to be persistent and not give up and, you know, be able to take a risk and not feel concerned about it too much. But I think you're right. Thinking positively is probably so incredibly important when things are not necessarily always going your way and there's always a new hurdle to jump over. So yeah, that's really interesting. Do you have some tools that you use every day that you feel like make your life easier either digital tools or physical tools or things that you do every day that you feel like would be something good that maybe some young entrepreneurs could could adopt to help themselves? Yeah, so I have a couple and my teams when they hear this are going to laugh, but everyone who works with me knows I'm crazy about my to-do list. And so I manage my to-do list with unread emails. And so I'll also email myself if I have certain things that I need to do on my to-do list. So I'm sure there are apps or new technology that's better for that. But for me, it's picking a way that you'd like to work and then building systems on top of that. So that's one. We have a lot of different partnerships with technology companies that our clients use, right? And so depending on the industry, so e-commerce companies, for example, will we'll recommend using Gorgeous, which is a ticketing CRM software that's easy to use. We also have, have different call software that makes it easy to set up an IVR and, and reporting. And so some of those are Red Route and AirCall. We can have a whole session on our different partner tools, but I think on the personal side, it's, you know, building some systems. And then if we want to talk customer support specifically, there's a lot of different software recommendations that we can talk about. So now tell me more about your unread emails. Somehow you do your to-do list on unread emails. So are you one of these people that like has to zero out your email box every day? Or how do you, how does that work? Because I'm always looking for new ideas. I have a paper to-do list, which is so incredibly old-fashioned and something in my computer. But, you know, it's nice to know a new tactic. It's not possible to zero it out every day because sometimes there's longer-term projects. But I'll have emails unread for things that I have to do. And then obviously until processes are handled to completion, I'll leave them unread as well. That'll remind me to check in with the different teams who are working on specific items. But I can pull up my unread emails now. So I have 29 right now. And of, of those, I would say 10 of them are workflows that I have to handle. And, and then the rest are either emails that have come in right, the last 10 recording minutes. this session or right, right. things that I'm just overseeing and have to check in with various team members on. And is there one of those 10 emails that's been like sitting there for like six months that you just don't want to get to, but you need to? Or are you really good about like, I'm just going to tackle this really nasty thing and just get it out of the way? Yeah, there's one that I should have done a few months ago. <laughs> right. It's just a, a very manual financial process that involves reconciling older years in our financial statements that is, I'm pretty sure it's correct because our tax accounting has handled it, but just for my own personal, it's on my list and I need to do it at some point before this year ends. It might not even take that long, but it's just sitting there yeah, nagging you yeah. every day. Yes, I agree. 
Do you feel like you have a personal mission statement or something that you think about when you're going to work every day or now that you have a new baby that changes your whole outlook on things a bit, I'm sure, but that you think about as, as something for your life? I mean, it comes back to some of the other areas that we talked about, but I think for me, it's about doing the work and putting the time in. And so that's what I try to do when I come into the office every day. And when I interact with my teams, it's doing the work to become as knowledgeable as I can. One of our core values at Horatio is delivering excellence to our clients. And so, you know, part of the culture is we love working together and we all work really hard to deliver excellence. And so it's something that my parents, both my parents worked my whole life. And so they instilled that in me growing up. And, and it's something that I bring every day and hope to pass on to our son and, and hopefully more kids down the road. And were your parents entrepreneurs or did they do some other kinds of work? So they did. They, my dad has started various companies and my mom has done a mix of big company and running her own businesses. So a lot of inspiration and support from them. That's great. We'll talk a little bit about you as a person. So I'd love to know, like, what is one thing that most people potentially would be surprised to find out about you? That's a good one. So, I mean, the first thing that came to mind is that I'm color, not colorblind, color impaired, but I won an art award in sixth grade, um, despite not being able to see colors great. That's funny. Unfortunately, I didn't stick with art, so I've kind of lost that and moved completely over to the number side of things, but that's a funny one. That is a funny one. Do you remember what the picture was or what you were doing? What What's in it? It was a, a set of sculptures and mm. photographs. That was my final project that I think pushed me over to win that award. That's so pretty cool. The creativity is not is not what it used to be, I would say. I'm much more numbers focused now in my day-to-day. Right. And then the other one is I am from Miami. And so I grew up speaking Spanish from a young age. That happened to turn out well and help me, given that we do business in Latin America now. So I think that's great. And obviously, the Spanish-speaking population in the U.S. is growing at a fast rate. And so it turned out to serve me pretty well. But growing up in Miami, a lot of people learn Spanish. Yeah, I think that languages are always a skill that it really often turn out to be really helpful in your career. So that's great. Talk about maybe the best piece of advice you've been given. Usually, as entrepreneurs, you're getting a lot of advice from people, maybe share with us what some of the best advice you've gotten has been. For me, again, I think it comes from my parents. It's been reinforced from my different managers and bosses in my time in working on Wall Street in finance. But to me, it's to act coming from a place of integrity. I think what you have at your core, you have your values and you have to act in line with how you would want to be treated. And so for me, coming back to living with integrity and and having that at the forefront of my actions, I think that's the best piece of advice. And then it also ties back to the values that we built at Horatio and at the company, right? So integrity is the first value at Horatio. It's one of the first things that Alex, Jose, and I talked about as we were thinking through the mission and values of our company. And so I think for me, that's probably the best piece of advice is, you know, stick to your values and try to make decisions with your values in mind. So not that you have any spare time, but if you had a little bit of spare time, like 15 minutes of spare time in your day, I'd love to know what you would do with that piece of time. 
and also what you read in your spare time other than books to your baby. But are there other, you know, magazines or articles or um, books that you tend to, to read when you have a little bit of time? Yeah. So 15 minutes of time, it depends where I am. If I'm at home, 15 minutes of time, I'll play with our son, Blake, or spend some time with my wife, Elizabeth. And, you know, family time is, is really important to me. And so most of my free time outside of work in the office is devoted to that. If I'm in the office and have 15 minutes, what I'll usually do is give one of our leadership team members a quick call, see if I can help with anything. I love solving problems. I think that comes back from my engineering background, but most of the work is problem solving and you know thinking through different options. And so I love doing that. And then in terms of what I read and where I get my information from. So I'm pretty big on podcasts. And then what I like to do is read business books or, or biographies for the most part. Um, there's a couple industry sources as well, but one of the most recent books I read is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, one of the Andreessen Horowitz founders. And I always recommend that for new founders because it does really outline some of the difficult challenges with hiring, with sometimes people not working out, with difficult client relationships, with how to position yourself and think strategically and how to run meetings with the people that report to you. So I do like that one a lot. And then I try to also read about areas that I'm interested in. So I did just actually read another book called The Healing of America. It talks about the U.S. healthcare system, and it's actually the author goes to a bunch of different countries and tries to get medical attention and talks about who pays and whether it's government, whether it's employee, whether it's out of pocket. And so he does a good job explaining the different models and you know, it gives a good overview of the healthcare system, which probably needs some work, mm -hmm. but that's for sure. Right. Interesting. So what podcast do you really like? Other than this one, of course, you know. Yeah. So this <laughs> one is great. I've listened to to most of the episodes so far. And um, yeah, I like entrepreneur interviews. So Tim Ferriss, I do a lot of. And I actually just recently listened to Tim Ferriss interviewing Jerry Seinfeld, which obviously the, one of the most famous top performing comedians ever. And it's just super interesting because that's a creative industry. And to hear about the process that he goes through day in, day out to write and try to create content and tries to systematize the, what he does, even in an industry like that is really interesting and in how he's been able to do it for you know, 40, 50 years with the longevity, a thousand inspiring one for sure. I think that comedians are some of the smartest people around because that is really hard to yeah. be funny, I think. Oh my goodness. So Jared, talk a bit about what habit you think helps you most in your business and perhaps in your life. Yeah. So I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind is discipline and putting a, a working routine together. This has become even more important since I've become a father, but I've set up a good morning routine. This is when I'm in New York, not when I'm traveling to the operations. But what I do each morning is I play with my son from seven to eight. My wife and I both do that. We wake up early with him. Then at eight, I go to the gym and I work out just about every day when I'm home. It helps reset me. It also is something that is important to me and something that has been a big part of my life going to the gym since I was very young, given 
how much I used to play tennis and sports. Then I go into the office. Then I typically get home around 6 p.m. for the bedtime routine. And so we do bath, bottle, family dinner together. That's really important. I actually grew up having sitting the five of us, my both my parents, my brother and sister, around the table every night for dinner. And so we take that time together as a family. And I hope to continue to do that with my family as well. And then I'm back online, typically around from 8.30 to 10.30, kind of handling my email to-do list. And so I feel like routine and discipline is an important part of my day and, and probably one of the habits that I think is important to any entrepreneur. And I do think that for me, work-life balance really is family work balance. And so I think for me, I just want to make sure that I prioritize as much family time as I can. And so having that routine, having that discipline to stick to it is, is kind of how I look at things. We also, we're not too rigid with the baby. So if we want to take him to dinner with us and maybe put him to bed a little late, we do that too. And so we like to have one night where we go out and oftentimes we'll bring the baby as well. When you think about your company, what are you looking forward to like in the next year or the next few years? What are some of the the goals and the ideas that you guys have that you're working on right now? The big one in the next year is we are going to expand to another country beyond the Dominican Republic. And so actually, Jose is traveling now, looking at a couple of different markets. And so that's going to be a big test for us is scaling beyond our home headquarter market. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time on that. And then the other one is, is we are looking at launching a couple of different new business lines and just improving our operations as well. I think yeah, as we've seen, the market is really big. And so we've developed an expertise and kind of support for these new waves of industries. But there's a lot of other white space that we can think through. And so it's going to be new markets and new industries are probably the two. Right. Which seems like it would be like just the, the opportunities would be endless in terms of the kinds of industries you could get involved in and even the size of the companies. Like I can think of a few companies that I think need your help. <laughs> with yes, for the customer sure. service are generally bigger companies, but you know, it seems like the, the market is huge. For sure. And then the other one is we're constantly figuring out new ways to make our offering more tech enabled. And so we're actually building a real-time analytics platform that we're going to give to all of our clients. And so they're going to get really accurate real-time data around their customer support organizations. And so that's something that no one does that well in the industry. And so that's another area that I'm excited about too. So do you think there'll come a day when like no company has like its own staff of customer support team and everyone is outsourcing this just because there's, you know, so much more expertise and efficiency in having someone else do this or maybe not? Yeah. I mean, look, we come across people who would never outsource and they say that and then they get to a point where they scale the team and it's just impossible to find enough headcount to support their end customers. And so what we like to say is that do what you do best and then hire Horatio to do the rest. And it's kind of our slogan. And so, you know, let us handle the setting up the customer support team, building the processes, building the reporting framework, monitoring the team, 
doing performance reviews. That's our core business. So let us do that. And then you handle what you do best, which is providing your amazing product that people love, your service that people love. And I think that's the model. And those are our, our target customers in the industry. Tell us how people can find out more about Horatio. Yes. Yeah, so our website is www.hirehoratio.com. And yeah, we're on social media at Hire Horatio. We're on LinkedIn at Hire Horatio CX, customer experience. And yeah, and then you can also find me, Jared Carson, on LinkedIn, on Instagram as well. Just one of the last things that I wanted to say just to the Cornell students out there who are thinking about starting businesses is that I'm happy to chat. And more importantly, I think you should go for it while you're young. I remember the conversation with my fiance at the time where I told her, hey, I'm going to quit my private equity job and make no money and you have to support us. And she was like, no problem. I mean, it was amazing that I had that support, but I think for everyone out there, that's an important part is just having that support system. But while you're young, while you're in school, a couple of years out, even you know, as you're thinking about starting families or growing in your career there, my, my advice is to go for it. And as long as you have that support system, I think it's not a decision that I regret and that most people regret when they make the leap, whether it works out or not. Thanks, Jared. It was so wonderful to have you on this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. It's great. And I uh, hope to see you on campus sometime soon. Yes, awesome. So to find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And please rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom of this episode and sharing your thoughts. Your reviews help even more entrepreneurs find the podcast and be inspired by stories like Jared's. Special thanks to Abby Younger, my editor extraordinaire, and to Bert Odom-Reed of the Cornell Broadcast Studios.